welcome to this week's episode of Chat with Nat. Today I have a really special guest. The political fangirl in me is screaming. I am so excited to have Samira Savlani here in the studio. Welcome to Chat with Nat. I, I'm excited <laughs> to be asked. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, no, no. I am so, I'm so excited. So Samira is someone that I've been following for years. You. Uh, you are a freelance journalist, an analyst, um, focusing on East Africa with your eye on the rest of the African continent. You are a trusted source. I enjoy your columns. I enjoy your opinion pieces. And you do so much more. Um, so, so, yeah, yeah, I'm so happy to have you here. Uh, first of all, um, I mean, we're late in in the month, uh, <laughs> but I was going to say Happy New Year anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like throughout the throughout January, it's like yeah. appropriate to go at any point <laughs> till the first of Feb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So we'll get into it. Like, there's so much that I want to ask you. Okay. Um, and um, so I mentioned so 2023 and. I have you here and one mm -hmm. of the things that you've been sort of like tweeting about and talking about is the 2023 election cycle yes. and what we can look forward to and I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on you know what you think is happening which countries you have an interest in so from the top of my head I know that we've got um, presidential elections in Zimbabwe obviously I as a Zimbabwean I have an interest mm -hmm. um, to, to be confirmed whether I should have an interest or not. <laughs> so we've got Zimbabwe, we've got Nigeria, which is a big one. We've got Libya, we've got DRC, we've got Madagascar, mm -hmm. um, which I know very little about. Um, but yeah, like out of those, which ones are you looking forward to? I mean, I think for me as an election fiend, I love I love elections. Like when yeah. there's an election, I'm like, okay, it's election day. So I'm actually looking forward to, to all of them. Libya doesn't fall under mm. my, my area, but obviously very interested to see what happens there. And then you've also got Liberia, Sierra Leone, Gabon. Yes. You know, the, they're also holding polls. Yeah. So I feel like there's going to be a lot going on. And because each country has its own things going on, its own trajectory, each one kind of ha I have an interest in seeing yeah. what happens next. And also, you know, you kind of always have that hope that everything will just go smooth. Yeah. You know, you don't, as, as much as, you know, you see a lot of, um, you know, when, when, there's the, when they make the headlines or this happened, that happened, I think the thing I always say is you have to remember that whatever happens in a post-election cycle mm -hmm. affects everyday people. Yeah. You know, and it's not, for, for a lot of us, we're just sitting away from those countries, reading the headlines yeah. and getting on with our days. But post-election it affects livelihoods it affects life in general and so you just kind of are like let's just hope things go smooth and the, mm. the voice of the people is heard and kind of adhered to yeah 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 no no that that's interesting um we before we were just speaking about peter obi and um sort of like drawing parallels with um Zimbabwe's Nelson Chavisa. Um, yeah, so I just kind of wanted to get your take. What you think about sort of like the Nigerian election? What you think about... Because I know a lot of people online are very excited about Peter Ovi, but, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's the reality on the ground, if um, actually, like, he would have any traction. Um, so, yeah, so just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, I guess, maybe just generally, not just specific to Nigeria or Zimbabwe, but... Um, is there is there a difference between digital mm -hmm. sort of reception 
of candidates or rather social media reception of candidate versus on the ground in the continent because we still have that technological yeah. gap, don't we? So I never want to you know, dismiss entirely what goes on on social media. Yeah. There is a reason um, candidates in elections use social media to campaign. You know, it is an avenue. Yeah. But I think something a lot of us have learned, particularly from the Ugandan example, mm. is never base or predict elections on what you're seeing on social media. Because, mm. yes, you've got a certain class, certain um, groups of people who are on social media who are saying... This is who my candidate is. This is yeah. who's going to win. But it's the people out there in, you know, the masses and the villages mm. who may not be putting things on social media who also have a vote. Yeah. And so you kind of take it with a pinch of salt when you see candidates getting a lot of traction on, on Twitter, mm. people being like, this is who I'm going to vote for because yeah. there's a whole host of people who are not telling you who they're voting for, yeah. you know, who aren't on social media. And yeah. also it's it's quite easy for me to sit on Twitter and say, so this happened with, with people I'd known in Kenya during mm. the August polls. They were on Twitter backing their candidates and because I partly live in Nairobi now. And yeah. so when I went back, I was like, oh, so did you vote? Oh, no, I couldn't be bothered. And it was like, oh, Ooh. but for all these weeks, you yeah. know, it's easy to tweet. It's a whole other matter to queue and vote. <laughs> yeah. So I think that that, it's, it's always just take it with a pinch of salt. Don't yeah. dismiss it, but never, ever base um, your predictions for an election on what you see on social media. Don't do it. I think a lot of us have kind of leaned that way and have mm. been, been burnt. Yeah, yeah. So so what happened in Kenya? Because I know like William Ruto is the new president. Yeah. Um, did you predict that being the case? How has it been received uh, so far? Yeah. So I did not predict it. I... I didn't, this was one of those elections where I could not, I did not um, have a clear cut, this is the person who I think is going to win. Yeah. I, what my, what came of interest to me mm. during that time was meeting young people who were saying they weren't going to vote in the election. And what was being branded as voter apathy, mm. as I continued my research, you kind of found that no, they were saying by saying, by choosing not to vote, yeah. We're making a political stand. Right. We're, we're sending a message that none of you represent us. Yeah. So my attention was more on how many people are not coming out to vote yeah. and why. Yeah. That kind of... And I think that when elections take place and there's a winner, life goes on and very little attention is given to... But what were the demographics who didn't come out to vote and yeah. why? Why are people not participating in the political process? Yeah. And I just think once you're in power, you don't even think about it, mm. which is problematic in itself. But I, so when I was looking at that, so I didn't, when people would ask me, oh, who do you think is going to win? I, I was like, I don't know. Yeah. Because when I, was, when I was there, the time I would spend in Nairobi and I would ask people who they're voting for, there was always a mix. Yeah. And I was taken aback at one point um, on the amount of people they would, they said they would vote for Ruto because in earlier in the year it kind of seemed like he you know he wasn't leading candidate yeah. based on predictions and you also saw that um, Raila Odinga had the support of the state because yeah. President Kenyatta had endorsed him so he had all the resources available to him mm -hmm. um, and then when the result came out it was tight it was very close mm. 
um, which you know tells you of possibly a country possibly divided around yeah. political lines yeah. and since then again you just get on with it you know elections come elections go he's he's the president um mr odinga challenged it in court yeah result was upheld um and i think both both sides campaigned hard and campaigned mm. well but i do think that if i look at it from like an analysis point of view mm. William Ruto going for the whole hustler narrative really yes. spoke right. to young people, to the working class. You know, I'm a hustler, I'm a hustler. And whether, he, you know, the, the merits of whether he qualifies as a hustler now <laughs> yeah. is, is neither here nor there for this conversation. But I think he, they really picked up on something there. Going yeah. along class lines, mm. that was a very sensible move. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So yeah, so, so let's zero in on Kenya because yeah. um, that, that, that is one of the things that I wanted to speak about because you mentioned that you are living in Kenya, you spent a lot of your time there. Yeah. Um, I've always sort of seen Kenya as, I think there was a time that it was touted as the capital of Africa, sort of like the beacon of Africa, like in terms of tourism mm. um, and all that sort of stuff. I know that it's probably the largest East African economy, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but I have felt that over recent years, Kenya has sort of fallen off the sort of continental conversation, um, obviously with the rise of, I, I guess, from a cultural export po point yeah. of view, you have Nigeria with like Afrobeat and then you have South Africa with I'm a piano. Although those are not political things, they are real big cultural exports. Um, and I feel that Kenya's kind of, been lost somewhere so you know as someone who probably has a better view of Kenya sort of living there what is your sense of Kenya's role in the continent I mean Kenya is a wonderful place you know mm. it's now my my other home and um it's beautiful god other country there are times when you will just look outside and you'll be like wow this is breathtaking yeah I think what's happened, if you look at music, for example, mm. definitely Nigeria and South Africa kind of dominate. And if you look even at cuisine, you know, yeah. over here in the UK, we're seeing a rise in West African cuisine, yeah. restaurants and stuff. And, um, you know, possibly I'll take a hit on this one mm. in case I do get criticism. <laughs> but I do think that where Kenya, I don't think the government promote mm. things about the country beyond your standard stuff like safari right. and Kenya has a lot to offer but we aren't we don't see that outside yeah and more can be done you know and um if you look Kenyan music is amazing mm. the film scene is amazing the creative scene is amazing but yeah. I don't think enough government resources are put into that right. and I don't think that we have you know a tourism strategy there that speaks to other parts about Kenya beyond yeah. just the safari. Yeah. Um, I think it's still very much um, has a huge role on the continent mm. um, politically as well as just in general. Nairobi is, you know, it's an amazing city with with a heart, with, with life. And, yeah. and people always, you know, it's a hub, but that somewhere, somehow, someone has kind of, missed something in terms of being like we have an amazing city we have an amazing country what more can we do mm. to make sure that local talent 
and the country in general is better promoted. Yeah. And in terms of just the economy, like how, how's Kenya doing? Okay, so um, we're the, the, we, I keep saying we, yeah. that's that I've become Kenyan apparently. <laughs> yeah. um, things, I think there's mm. always post-pandemic mm. and then an election year can always be tricky. Yeah. Um, and that it's no secret that um, the country is in a lot of debt. Right. Which critics blame on the Kenyatta government. Um, a lot of loans were taken to build things. Yeah. Some of which weren't necessarily needed. Right. So there's... There's work to be done there to get, get everything back up. But, you know, considering the pandemic, on a country mm. that's so dependent on tourism, coming back from that is a huge thing in itself yeah. because all of a sudden you don't have tourists coming in. You know, your restaurants, everything, there was a curfew. Mm. Um, so I think it's going to take work to right. get it back to where it, where it was. Yeah, yeah. And the debt thing is, is a big deal. Okay, okay. And um, there, there's a headline that I saw that, that was of interest to me, which was about Shalene Ruto, who's the daughter of the president, who has set up um, the first of its kind, the office of the first daughter. <laughs> and I was like, what is going on? Um, yeah, and I, I remember listening to uh, a show where they were talking about it. And some people were like, well, yeah, she's the office of the first daughter. You know, it's fine. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> so I just wanted to get your take on that. Oh, Kenya. Um, so, you know, I think, I, I hope I'm not wrong, but I mm. feel like recently I saw uh, William Ruto did comment on it. And I mm. think he just said, look, you know what kids can be like. Mm. And we know what kids can be like. But I can understand why people were not impressed with yeah. that. Yeah. You know, I think... Ultimately, let's keep things very separate. Yeah. Your father is elected uh, into political office. Yeah. yeah. Le you know, things should not be blurred. Yeah. And so I can understand why for a lot of people this is quite problematic. Mm. And I do think that in a lot of countries there needs to be um, a real kind of uh, effort made to be like, you may be the child or family mm. member of the person in holding the presidency or prime minister. Yeah. But that's where it ends. Exactly. You know, I think we go into grey areas with certain yeah. privileges and, and things. Yeah. Um, and so I can understand why people were angry. I, I mean, I, I was like, well, yeah. I don't think we can just dismiss it as this is just someone young. And, and I think she did say, mm. you know, it's just a title. It's nothing to do. I'm like, <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but why do it? You exactly. Know? Why do it? Exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay, okay. Um, and I've always been sort of just interested in kind of like the role of East Africa and, and oh, I guess Somalia um, and the instability there. Mm -hmm. um, how has, I mean, I don't know if you have any views on this, but how has Kenya sort of managed to, I guess, foolproof itself from the instability like you know considering that there's a border there's a border share with with somalia um mm. does that kind of creep in in any way not just kenya but maybe in in the whole region like what's happening in somalia yeah so from time to time you will hear of like ied attacks mm. in in the you know northeastern kenya which mm. where the border is um and you know we've seen other terror attacks which uh, yeah. you know allegedly done by al-shabaab 
um, Westgate, Westgate Mall, Garissa University. Mm. Then I think the most recent was the in Nairobi. At least the most recent was the Dusset Hotel right. in yeah. uh, in Nairobi. And so it's not, you know, it's mm. it's not. Um, and I think for for people living on the border, that threat is is there, yeah. you know. Um, and I'm I'm not sure if there's real really any way to foolproof yourself mm. from those attacks because al-shabaab will consistently say we're carrying out these attacks in kenya because you have troops in somalia but you're also like well you're al-shabaab so you yeah. could just be saying anything like they could pull their troops out and you yeah. will still like life is of no value to you mm. you don't care who you kill and so um those threats are still there yeah you know the bitter reality of it in my opinion is mm. until that terrorist group is completely out yeah the threats will always remain the threats will always remain yeah. okay okay um and just quickly going back to the election cycle and mm -hmm. what's happening this year um obviously i i have an interest because i'm zimbabwean so <laughs> the zimbabwean election i just kind of wanted to get your view i guess as someone who's not zimbabwean but someone who sort of like just keeps an eye on what's happening mm -hmm. is that election of interest to you absolutely yeah i mean absolutely i think again with zimbabwe voter turnout will be mm. interesting. The amount of young people voting will be interesting. Mm. I see a lot of uh, Zimbabwean activists tweet, you mm. know, please go register to vote, please yeah. go register to vote. And so I am interested to see, again, how many people are going to choose not to come mm. out. Um, and, you know, it's hard to make predictions. Yeah. But with what we've seen in previous elections, ZANU-PF clearly have, Yeah. you know, they do what they do. Um, and, you know, I think, again, you look at someone like Nelson Shamisa, mm. he's out there, he's trying mm -hmm. to, to, you know, do his campaigning. And one of the tricky things we come across in some countries mm. is when you have got the state actively, because, um, you know, I've always said that rigging does not happen at the ballot box yeah. in some cases. Yeah. In some cases rigging or trying to mm -hmm. manipulate, manipulate yeah. an election yeah. begins on the campaign trail mm -hmm. when you're arresting, blocking mm -hmm. opposition from having their campaigns or whatever. And so far we have seen, you know, you've got a couple of opposition legislators yeah. in jail. Um, doesn't bode well, mm. you know, it really doesn't. Mm. Um, I'm not entirely sure that I could say at this point there's a level playing field. Yeah. And and I don't have, you know, I'm not sitting here picking one candidate over the other or yeah, backing yeah. one candidate over the other. Yeah. But I do believe that if you're holding an election, it would be nice if everyone can start exactly. even. And I'm not entirely sure that that's currently the case in Zimbabwe, yeah. which I also think is sad. Um, I think the people deserve more. They deserve mm. better than that. Yeah. And, and do you think that the outcome of the Zimbabwean election has an impact on the rest of the continent or on East Africa? Yeah. I think on the rest of the continent, yeah. I think most elections will. And if not for anything else, then the the process of how the election goes, mm. you know, you kind of, you'll see people be like, oh, this country can do peaceful transfer of power so easily. Yeah. Why can't others? Yeah. You know, as in there's always an, almost an inspiring thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, Zimbabwe has its neighbours. 
So I think the impact is always felt, yeah. uh, whichever way it goes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. No, no, no. That, 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 that's interesting. I'll probably come back to that mm -hmm. as well. Um, but one thing that I was really, really interested in sort of speaking to you about mm -hmm. is just your journey. Like I said, I have been following you for years and I always enjoy, you know, what you share. I find mm -hmm. your content quite informative because um, I've always found it difficult to keep up with what's happening in the continent. Yeah. So, I listen to BBC Africa. That that's probably sort of like the main source. Mm. Um, and then obviously being Zimbabwean, you know, I, I probably have a better sense of what's going on. Um, and again, being Zimbabwean, there's proxy to South Africa, so you kind of you know no, get get yeah. news. But then I feel like I my knowledge gap of sort of like what's happening in other areas isn't as great but I think what you've managed to do is sort of position yourself as mm -hmm. you know someone that people can sort of like read up on and um just, just you bring the information to the people so I kind of wanted to go back to sort of Samira at um, at school, perhaps, because I know you went to SOAS and yeah. what you studied. So, But if you could sort of take me back to sort of like your journey, basically what you studied and basically how you ended up finding this niche and being mm. interested in what's happening in the African continent. Yeah. Okay. Well, firstly, thank you for, for saying such nice things. <laughs> I think for me, my Twitter is like my baby. And yeah. so whenever anyone is like, I get so much from it, I'm like, you don't know what that means yeah. to me, you know, because I have I've put a lot of work into that. Um, I never wanted to be a journalist. I did mm. not study journalism. I still kind of get imposter syndrome when I'm referred to as a journalist. I'm like, really? Um, and I, so I wanted to work in, uh, initially, mm. uh, when I was very naive, I wanted to work for the UN. I was like, oh yeah, I want to work <laughs> for the UN, world peace. And yeah. then very quickly in my early 20s, I was like, no. Um, you know, that I think, I figured that there's a lot of stuff within that system that um, inhibits them mm -hmm. from acting in certain situations. Mm -hmm. And also, ethically, I was like, mm, I don't think this okay. is the place for me. And I, I don't, I'm not saying the United Nations don't do good things, but mm. for me, I was like, I don't think this is where I'd want to end up. Yeah. And I, I did my undergrad in sociology and politics. Mm -hmm. And then I did my master's in international studies and diplomacy. And at that point, I thought, I want to work in humanitarian aid. I want right. to be an aid worker. Mm -hmm. And off I went to Uganda. I'd got an internship, paid internship uh, mm -hmm. for an NGO in Kampala. And when I had a break, a Christmas break, I went off to, I managed to get some work on a refugee camp on the DRC Uganda border. Okay. And I was like, okay aid work mm. um, and then I came back to the UK uh, and you know that what you see on refugee camps mm. um, I don't think any advert any you know sponsor a child or that can really explain to you what people who who come to refugee camps mm. have come from mm -hmm. um, and how we almost sometimes will dehumanize them in all these advertising campaigns and stuff because those are living breathing human beings mm -hmm. with lives yeah. you know and agency and that whole process of leaving say a conflict zone mm. can just be so soul destroying for them um and i and i think the reason i mentioned that was because 
that forms the center of my, my journalism mm -hmm. when I write or talk about people, where for me it's really important that each person I talk about or group of people I talk about, they are, they're, their humanity yeah. is, is held you know, at the center of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I was here, I was applying for aid work jobs and I wasn't getting anywhere. And so I wrote to, the, the Ugandan elections were coming up mm -hmm. and I wrote to an editor there and I just said, you know, I know people in the Ugandan diaspora here and I'd love to ask them about the election. Can I write you a piece? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, but we don't pay. And at the time I was doing a little admin job in it at an mm -hmm. estate agents. And I was like, okay, that's fine. That's how I started. And I don't know how, yeah. but it's just taken on a life of its own. Um, you know, did those few free articles mm -hmm. and then it just became its own thing. Uganda went off to Kenya for the 2013 elections mm -hmm. um, as a young observer, young. Mm -hmm. And it just picked up on it. You know, you get more writing gigs yeah. and it builds. And then, yeah, I, I'd opened the Twitter and I just started being like, I'll just share news bits. Yeah. And slowly, slowly it it's grown and it's something I'm so grateful for, the people that do follow me, that do trust me. You also build up a network of sources in mm. these countries where, you know, so whenever there's like at this point, one of the countries I do do some reporting on is like Mali, Guinea, Burkina Faso, right. where there've been coups. Mm. And it's because I have people there on the ground who will message me and say, This is what's happened. Yeah. Um it just happened. Honestly, it's, it's weird because it's hard to almost explain it, yeah. but it did happen on its own. And at the same time, you know, I made mistakes mm -hmm. along my way, reporting mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I think I kind of learned on the job almost. Yeah. So yeah. I want to go back to your experience at the refugee camp because yeah. you say that sort of gave you your prison detail, whatever people yeah, yeah, say, you know, yeah. like, like the, the, the the purpose and it informs your sort of like moral campus. I, I just want to know how, what that was like and if you have any story or just, just anything that's still vivid in your memory that Gosh. you're like. I don't think those yeah. memories really ever go away. Yeah. I, I think it's, it's certain, it's when you see someone's humanness, you know, um, I remember one guy had crossed over and he'd walked from, from, DRC across the border, whatever, because it was mm. a transit camp. Mm. And he had a plastic bag and um, just, he'd run out of his house. Mm. And the one thing he picked up was a copy of the Bible. Mm. And I think for me, there was a moment of, even in times like this, this person has faith. Mm. Um, and there were there were other there were other you know horror horror stories there were there were because you when you'd register them they'd tell you things yeah um and you'd kind of hear it and you'd be like okay but you you end up in this space where you're like you've you've been through something really really terrible mm. and really difficult mm. but in in you telling me your story and you've you've survived something terrible. Yeah. This and I, I, the Western gaze of, oh, this is so terrible. Oh God, these poor people. Mm -hmm. I felt always took away from the fact that actually, they're human beings as well. Yeah. And yeah, they've been through something, but there's just this approach to it which, 
oh, these poor Africans or poor Asians or whatever. Mm. And I think it's, you can talk about people and their stories and their experiences and, and the worst they've been through while giving them dignity. Yeah. And that's where I sometimes felt like there's a gap. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that has always been central for me in terms of you write and talk about people with dignity. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I think I that's, that. that's important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then you mentioned that, you know, you approaching the Ugandan editor and yeah. then doing the doing doing the piece. So, um, was this a ready sort of network that you had of the Ugandan diaspora, or did you have to do like a lot of leg legwork talking to different people? I had um, to do a lot of legwork. Yeah. So I had a few people, and then I asked them if they could give me contact details yeah. of of their friends and family who are Ugandan as well. And um, it was just interesting, isn't it? Because the the whole diaspora role. Is, and because I'm, mm. you know, Indian diaspora, mm. like, I think I understand that. Yeah. So you're kind of sat with someone who is like, yes, I live here mm. and yes, I'm not there, but I have views on this election. Yep. And am I allowed to have those views? Am I, you know, I mean, I yeah. think you probably understand yeah. mm. um, better than I do. So that it was it was an interesting one to speak to people about because you found that whatever be they were really invested in what was going on back yeah. home. And they did have opinions on it, but some of them questioned whether they were allowed to. Yeah, yeah. And, and it, it's interesting because what happens at home probably impacts them. Of course. A great deal. Of course. Um, so, okay, so, so that, that's, I think that, I think there's something that people can take from that, right? It's just showing that initiative. Um, and, Absolutely. And, doing stuff for free i know there's a whole debate around you know should you sort of like start off and not get paid but then i think that there, there is something about you showing that initiative because it think, wouldn't have opened doors would it? Yeah, yeah and i still think it is deeply problematic that mm. often we have to start off doing things for free mm. and i also acknowledge that i had the privilege i was mm. living with my parents yeah so i was able to yeah. And I did have my little side job. Yeah. Um, now, you have to be pretty spectacular for me mm. to say yes to working for free. Mm. I don't do it because I don't think it's okay. Yeah. And I think, but I think industries like journalism, even humanitarian aid to an extent, mm. all of these, they, it does start off with working for free. Yeah. And that's not okay. Yeah. But it was something that I had to do. And, and in terms of putting yourself out there, it is the hardest thing in the world. And yeah. I still struggle with it. There are so many things that I, my instant reaction is, no, I don't want to do it. Yeah. And then I'm, I'm lucky my, my parents, my siblings, my boyfriend, they yeah. know that about me. So they'll be like, hold up. Mm. Putting yourself out there is hard. Mm. But I think it's a Trevor Noah quote, which is, and I paraphrase this really mm. badly, but rejection isn't the worst thing regret is Oof. and i look back yeah. and i think if i'd not sent those emails to places saying can i write for you for free yeah. i yeah i wouldn't have what i have exactly but i understand that it's not easy and it's yeah. not accessible to everyone yeah yeah and then how how do you get to the point of sort of like writing for the new york times um, that's still yeah. I, I i because of my very loud imposter syndrome i don't tend to whenever people are like oh you've done this well done yeah. i'm like mm. <laughs> the new york times was a big one because mm. you know sometimes i can be into the whole manifesting thing and i yeah. think for about three years straight 
on New Year's Eve for the following year, I would yeah. say, get published by the New York Times. Yeah. It was just something I so badly wanted. Yeah. And they emailed me. I didn't have to pitch. I don't know anyone there. I don't know anything. Wow. They emailed me and um, the editor was like, I read your column in The Continent and I find it very funny and I think it's very good. And I was wondering, would you write an opinion piece on the Kenyan elections? And, yeah, you know, when that came out, um, my cousin went off to King's Cross. He bought five copies of the newspaper. <laughs> like it, it was, I was just, you know, the morning it got published, yeah. I was like, this is it. Yeah. Oh my God. I, I don't know where I go from here. And, and, you know, I think for a lot of people it was mm. like, okay, well done. But, you know, but for me, mm. there was just something and it was on the front page, which That's meant amazing. even more. Yeah. And it was also because what I wrote about mm. were the young Kenyans choosing mm. not to vote. Mm. And for me, that, was again the important thing yeah i was seeing other media houses and this is no disrespect to them mm. saying oh kenyan vote young voters are apathetic mm. and i was like no you can't there's more to this there's story. more to this yeah you can't just label these young people as not caring yeah that's not okay yeah so it was it wasn't just making the new york times it was that i got to tell that story yeah which for me felt so important and i think I had a lot of responses to it, but the nicest one was, mm. was a Kenyan lady saying, I'm grateful to you for writing for, about us with such care. Mm. And I was like, that, that really is all I want to do. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of goes back to the dignity point That's that you it. said sort of like drives That's you. That's it, yeah. And I don't always get it right. Oh, yeah. I've made my mistakes. <laughs> But I yeah. try. Yeah. Oh, that is that is amazing. And I love the continent. I love the, your your A to my, I'm, my A I was to going Z. to the, the American A to Z. A to Z. <laughs> your A to Z. I thought that was fantastic. And I saw you yeah. got like a lot of responses. Like what was the sort of like one response or reaction to that that So this is out? my second year of doing the A to Z. So I, mm. I have a weekly column in the continent and it's usually a roundup of whatever's gone on that week yeah. with a lot of sarcasm and kind of wit thrown yeah. in. And so at, at the end of last year, um, I was like, you know what, let me just do an A to Z of things that have happened on the continent. Mm. And my editor was like, we're doing this every year now. So yeah. that was at the end of 2021. Mm. And so we did it again this year. And I think, you know, bad things happen all over mm. the world. And sometimes it's just nice to laugh a little. Yeah. So my, my favorite thing, and I say this is my career highlight that <laughs> yeah. I came up with, yeah. was the phrase, keeping up with the Kudashians, uh. which is what I, when I referred to Burkina Faso, Mali, and Guinea. Yeah. And just those small things. And, and I think I always appreciate when people say, it made me laugh. Mm. Because mm. we're all going to cry anyway yeah. with some of the stuff that goes on that we yeah. read about, that we see. Yeah. So sometimes it's nice to... You know, I think oh, I've been hopefully never going to get in trouble for this, but um, <laughs> President George Weah of um, Liberia has had a lot of criticism last year because he travels a lot. Mm. So I referred to him as the Dora the Explorer of African presidents. And people find it funny. And hopefully Liberian immigration will find it funny <laughs> should I ever try and enter the country. But, you know, you have to laugh. Yeah. You have to laugh. He, he, he definitely probably has competition from Buhari, right? Liberia. Uh, uh, Buhari probably. isn't uh... But the thing with Buhari is yeah. he's always here for healthcare. Okay, fair this, enough. The, I think where was between... And he left the country at the end of October mm. and he got back there mid-December. 
okay. and he'd gone to some conference in Paris. Then he went to Qatar to watch his son play for the USA in the World Cup. Oh my goodness. Then he went to the US for some conference. And you're like, and you know, they, they also yeah. are having, having challenges mm. with the economy. So like, guys, yeah. you know, Priorities. whereas I think with Buhari, it's health, the health. Like, and, yeah. and I've been very openly critical of this mm. because I think you, it's absolutely to me abhorrent mm. that you will not use the healthcare systems that you are meant to be one taken care of yeah. for your populace yeah. and what you expect them to use. Yeah. I find that absolutely unacceptable. Yeah. No. Same thing in the UK when I hear about Tory MPs mm. or government ministers sending their kids to private schools mm. and I'm like, but you're... Yeah. yeah. The, the education system is okay for the rest of us, yeah. but not for you. What, and using well, private health care. Yeah, mm. it, I find it unacceptable. Yeah, no, I definitely... <laughs> Like, I definitely agree with you. I mean, you're, you're yeah. President Mugabe. I, yeah. When was the last time he'd seen a Zimbabwean dog? He was always in Singapore. Off Singapore, yeah. 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 Just getting his health care. Exactly. So I think it's not okay. I re those are the things I really do rail against. And when I see it, I'm like, yeah. come on. Exactly. Not exactly. Okay. okay. So, what are you sort of like, what, what, what's, what's, are you looking forward to like in 2023 just on your own sort of like personal journey and like career God. journey and it's, I've had a few weeks off I guess I came back to London yeah and I was like and I finished my final end of year pieces mm. and I was like I'm not doing anything anymore I don't mm. care and I, I only resumed everything this week because the continent's back yeah. um, and I actually have a column for a Kenyan online platform as well okay so I just wrote my third one so that's kind of resumed. So mm. it'd be nice to see those two grow. Yeah. Um, I'm very much lost right mm. now where I'm like, do I want to continue with journalism? What do, what do I want to okay. do? Yeah. So it's a tricky one. Mm. But the one thing I have said is mm. I would love to interview the coup leaders in mm. those three West African countries because for me, there's something so fascinating about coups. What mm. makes you get up in the morning and be like, right, we're, we're overthrowing this guy. Yeah. And I had a piece out last year where I'd interviewed three people in, living in those countries mm. and asked them how life had been post-coup. Yeah. And I'd love to see it from the side of the leaders. Mm. Um, so that's top of the list. Yeah. Other than that, um, I'm very much... You know, and also you're living between two countries, mm. not ideal. I don't recommend it to anyone. <laughs> yeah. You get to Nairobi and you're like, oh, it's been two months. I have to fly back to London yeah. now. And then you're in London for two months. Yeah. Um, one day books, maybe. I'd love to write fiction um, wow. because I read a lot of fiction. Yeah. At this point, I'm open to anything and everything. Oh, amazing, amazing. I am hoping up you do keep up with the Kardashians. <laughs> <laughs> I think it would be interesting. And, and, and also like you know who backs them who funds them because yes. you know we we know we that there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot that 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 that's sort of happening so i think that would be really really interesting but samira it's been lovely lovely speaking to you is, is there anything that you want to say that that you know we, we haven't touched on before we close i think just for anyone mm. to go back to that point of putting yourself out there yeah. you know um for anyone who's thinking of getting into not just writing or journalism, but anything. Mm. Text that guy, ask him out, <laughs> send the pitch, yeah. like apply for the job because mm. you don't, the worst thing 
you can be told is no. Yeah. And no is quite character building, you know. Like yeah. I've had a lot of no and yeah. it's quite character building. Um, that I think for me is is kind of the thing I will always say. Mm. Um, and if you're into like African politics and stuff, mm. then subscribe to The Continent. It's yes. a great publication. Yeah. Um, you can read my weekly column in yes. there. And um, come find me on Twitter at yes. Samira Sablani. I'm loads of fun. Yes, yes, you are, you are. And thank you so much, Samira. And um, I'll put the links to everything. And definitely do check out The Continent. Please subscribe to it. Because I know they rely on people subscribing and it's free um yeah yeah and it's such a well-written um document so yeah i'm hoping that in my own little way i can contribute to the you know conversation <laughs> uh in terms of just like the african space because i think it's just there's so much hidden in 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 the continent we we like well there's there isn't as much information out no. there which is what i'm really passionate about as well so i think we kind of share that passion so samira Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is not your last time. <laughs> no, oh no, I'll be back. Oh gosh. You will be back. I'll be and back. um and I hope to visit Barrowby when, at some point. Whenever you're ready, yes. we're there. We're yes. waiting for you. Yes. You know, I'm off yes. next week, so whenever yeah. you're ready. No, no, enjoy and we'll be keeping up with you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Samira. Thank you. Thank you.